Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. So Nehemiah 8, if you want to turn there. And we're continuing our series. We've been in a series on Nehemiah, if any of you have, have not uh, tracked with that, or if it's your first time here. That we're, we're, and we're, we're, we're a good few weeks into that, so hopefully... Uh, Nothing will go over your head, but rough story is they built a wall. Okay, that's what they did. There was, they, they needed a wall built around Jerusalem, and they built a wall, right? Now, it's interesting. I, 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 um, I don't know how many of you here, we've just had Valentine's Day, and uh, they always bring out the fancy boxes of chocolates to the front of Tesco's, right, in the build-up to Valentine's Day. Does anybody else here that those boxes, think that those boxes of chocolates are vastly overrated? Yes, yes, a few people in the room. I think they're absolutely vile. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Uh, someone said, life is like a box of chocolates, disappointing, and towards the end, you feel pretty sick. Um, which I just amen that loudly. I think a box of chocolates, because normal chocolate is great. Normal chocolate, it's not that hard to do, I think, normal chocolate. Yeah, for some reason, it, you know, you put a big fancy box on it, and for some reason, you have to have, like, liqueur and champagne mixed in with it. And I just... I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. But the reason why we buy it is because it's not socially acceptable to turn up on your Valentine's Day date and give the girl a curly whirly. Okay, even though that's what she would definitely prefer. Okay, I'm going to be asked curly whirlies win every time. Um, but it, but it's interesting, right? Because you have you have these uh, boxes and they look great and the outside's all good and the setup's all good and the packaging's all good. But to be honest, if the chocolate itself is not good, then you're missing the point, right? You're missing the point. You, you, you've missed the key element. Uh, and and that, that, that can be a, a disappointing thing as far as I'm concerned. Now, this is where we're at in this story. It is possible to have a great setup. It is possible to get a lot of the practicalities and the externalities right. But if you miss the main thing, you've kind of missed everything. You've missed the point, And that would be disappointing. Um, and there is a point. It sounds strange, right? But we're at this point in this story of Nehemiah. And the wall is now built. And from the very beginning of the book, what we've been looking at is, well, they, they needed to build a wall. They're, the walls of Jerusalem were, were in ruins and in rubble. And Nehemiah gets it on his heart to build a wall. And then he goes and there's opposition and challenges, but they manage to build the wall. And we're at the point now where the wall is built. And most of us, if we were writing a story, if we were imagining a story, we would say, well, that has come full circle. We have the problem, we have the, the tension, and we've got the solution. We've got beginning, middle, end. We've finished the story. That's it done. And yet the, the reality is that it would be very possible at this point in the story for it to end. If it did end here, it could end in disappointment. It could end in not getting the main thing and not realizing what this is all ultimately about. Because the people of Israel, right, they, they were not called to be the people of the wall. They needed a wall. They needed a wall in their lives. They needed a wall to protect the city. They needed a wall to, um, to keep them safe and to make their mission possible. But they did not exist for the wall, right? They did not find their purpose in the wall. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever found their purpose in a wall, to be honest, Okay. Maybe Donald Trump, but not many others apart from that. Okay, most people, that is not going to be your purpose in life. All of this, all of this story is leading to something. It is leading to a moment and it is leading to what is going to happen in this chapter. This is, if anything, the essential chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And before I kind of give away what that main point is and what we're leading towards, let me just put it in our, in our context. It is very possible in the life of the church 
for us to get very good at doing church, to get the externalities right, to get the sound right, to get the seating right, to get the lighting right, to get the, uh, the tea and coffee right, yes and amen, to get all of these things put up in place and get all the externalities, get all the packaging, get all that sorted, make sure it all looks good, and yet we could potentially miss the main thing. I think there is there are sometimes in church when we do miss the main thing. Sometimes we get so into putting on a good event and putting on some good programs and some good systems and some good structures and we can miss out on the main thing. So what is that main thing that I'm talking about today? What is it that we're getting into? Let's read Nehemiah um, chapter 8 and verse 1 to 6. And where's my little note? Oh, that's all right. I'll just do it straight out of the Bible. I like to just print it out because, to be honest, the text is a wee bit small, but I like to have a Bible on stage. All right? So we'll get there. Don't want to be doing it off my phone. That's a bad look. You know, it looks like you're texting. Uh, Nehemiah 8 verse 1 says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Um, And then it talks about Ezra going and building a platform. There's people on that. That's verse four. Verse five says this. It says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. As soon as the wall is done, this is really interesting, right? As soon as the wall is done, they have a gathering. The people of the city all gather together. Uh, And it is not a wrap-up party, right? It is not a, yep, let's do pizza and Coke and just say, yeah, we did a good job, high-five each other and celebrate. Although that would not be a wrong thing to do. It's a wonderful thing. But that's not why they gather. It's really interesting that their first priority, literally one week after this wall is finished, they go, what was the point of all of this? Why did we do this? Why did we want to get this wall finished? We wanted to get it done so that we could gather to hear the word of God so that we could gather to hear what God says to his people. That was their priority. That is what they were after. That is what they were about. And and so they gather and they they end up going on. So so they they gather, they gather early in the morning, they crack it on and he preaches, Ezra preaches until midday, everybody. It is a six-hour sermon, okay? So some of you think we go a bit long here, okay, right? Six hours is a whole other ball game. Uh, Prince Philip, the, the, the uh, late Duke of Edinburgh, said this. He said about long sermons, he said, the brain cannot absorb what the backside cannot endure. Um, <laughs> do not amen that to anybody, okay? That is immediate excommunication. But they go six hours and they're standing and they're amening. And they, they, there's just this, and that, that seems remarkable to me. That these people who, who have been working flat out for 52 days nonstop and they've had to fight enemies and they've had to build and it's physical labor and everyone's involved. And as soon as it's done, they go, right, let's gather around the word of God. Let us recognize why we did this, what the point and the purpose of all this was. And it was so that they could have and so that they could hear God's word. 
Now, there's a couple of things here. There's a couple of sides to why they did this. One of them was that they just literally had not been able to do this for um, for about 140 years, 141 years to be precise. The, the walls of Jerusalem were ruined in uh, 586 BC, and uh, now we're in 445 BC, and now they are rebuilt. So they haven't had an opportunity to gather and celebrate uh, and, and listen to the word of God in this way for, for a long time, right? So they hadn't been to church in 141 years, right? Now, that's, we did COVID, and there was a couple of years there where a lot of people didn't come to church. 141 years is a bit different, okay? If you said, when was the last time you were at church? The 1880s would be a long time. You probably need a refresher. So, so they do that. It's a refresher. That's kind of what they're doing. But at the same time, it's not just that. I don't think this is just a practical kind of, you know, oh, we need to get caught up on what we've missed. I think they're demonstrating something about who they are called to be, about what the people of God is called to have as its priority in the world. They're recognizing something about that, and it is the same for them as it is for us. The word of God is essential. The word of God is absolutely vital to who we are. The scriptures are essential. We need it. Their purpose was not found in the wall. Their purpose was found in the word. That is what they were doing. And and, and that, I believe, is the same for us. You know, the purpose of the church, right, if we think about it, it, it is not to just put on a good event. The, the, the purpose of the church is not found, and don't get me wrong, we need all of these things just like they needed a wall, right? So, so, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but like, you know, we could, we could put out all the chairs, we could have the heating on, the building lit properly, we could have kids work on, we could have, you know, at nice systems and structures and we could get, you know, people involved and all of that stuff. But if we missed the word of God, what would be the point? It would be completely empty. It would be devoid of life. It would miss the unique thing that God has given us. And what we see is that all of that stuff, when we look at the Bible, all of that stuff exists so that the people of God can gather around his word. And I might add, and worship in response to that. Okay, but that would be a different sermon. But, but that is really at the core of their identity. What made the people of Israel unique was not the fact that they had a wall. It was that they had the word. And what makes us unique is not our ability to gather people in a room and do something nice and make it look good and sound good. It is the fact that when we come here and we open the scriptures, God speaks. God speaks to his people. That's remarkable. That is an incredible thought. Jesus did not send us into all the world. When he he told us to do this, um, he, he didn't say, go into all the world and build good organizations. Good organizations are vital. We need them. We need well-run churches. It's godly and it's right and there's gifts of administration. Yes and amen. But he said, go and bring good news. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. That's what he sent us with. He sent us as ambassadors, as heralds, as people who have the words of God and are called to share them with the world. He, this, we, I think we, we get blasé about this sometimes. We, we, we think that the Bible is kind of just a book to be studied. It, it, it is a book to be studied, but it is more than that. It is a book to be experienced. It is a book to encounter God in. God, when he created everything, he did it using his word. That's the power of the word of God. And when we open this book, that is what 
is at work among us. That is what we are declaring is the words of God. The words of the living God are literally being shared with us as we preach and as we teach and as we read this book. It is what we are about. It is what makes us unique. And with, without it, all of the rest of that stuff is just a, a, an empty shell. It, it just lacks meaning. It lacks purpose. We're not called to be people of the wall. We're called to be people of the word. That is our core identity. I, I know talking to people here, um, and Craig, I'm sure, is either watching or, or we'll, we'll catch up on this. But, but I know from talking to people here, one of the main reasons why a lot of people are here at church is because of Craig's preaching. Right and and not do show hands, but I just knew that and 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 the, that that and it's not just because it's technically good. I mean, it is. It's it, like he's. I, I really really love Craig's preaching. I personally, I really do. It's engaging. It's funny. You know, it's witty and you know all of that stuff. Right. And Craig, I'm not asking for a raise. Okay, that's not what I'm doing. But you know, it is. But but really, the main thing is that it's biblical. That's that's why we connect with it, right? And it's biblical often in ways that other people are not willing to be biblical. I think that's part of it. It's like, oh, that's in the Bible. Goodness, people don't talk about that bit that much. We connect with that. We love that. That's really why we, one of the big reasons anyway for a lot of people why, why we're here. And, and, and let me tell you how I knew that, right? If Craig stood up one morning and he said, I'm going to give a really funny, engaging, passionate message about our Lord and Savior Buddha, we would all clear off immediately. Like, we would. We would just go, oh, that's not a church anymore. You've missed the point. You can have all the packaging, all the externals, but if you don't have that thing, you're missing it. We love it because it's biblical. And I just want to tell you this morning, if that's you, sometimes people can be sniffy about that, but that is a good thing. It is a good thing. Sometimes we can, we can be a little bit anti-Bible, a bit anti-theological, a bit anti digging in and say oh you know it's pharisaical to go oh well we need more of the word no we need the word of god in church like if it's not being preached here where else is it being preached everybody like like if we're not sharing the word of god here there is no other place i don't mean just this individual congregation but the church if if the word of god is not upheld and trusted in and believed in and and shared and explained and and delivered in a way that challenges us it's not happening anywhere and the word of god is not an optional extra for the people of god it is essential to who we are as it was essential for them it is right to desire it it is right to crave it it is right to love it and to go do you know what that that is an essential part of why we gather it just is And, and, and we think well well that's all nice for us it's nice for us as Christians, right? But the word of God is not just essential for Christians. It's essential for the world, for, for the whole world, right? Let me unpack this a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm not plugging this, okay? I started a YouTube channel recently and I've done a few videos, right? Okay, and uh, <laughs> it's small and I'm not caring about where this is going. I just, but if you, if you heard any of those and I'm repeating stuff, that's where I'm pulling this from, okay? So, uh, bear with me. Most of you haven't seen it, but you can do at, no. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's a study done, so, so, so a lot of people talk about church decline and church growth in the West and in America. And, and what you find is there are congregations that are definitely declining. There's also a bunch of congregations that are definitely growing. And so they did a study on the churches that were growing versus those were, that were declining. And what they found is they believed completely different things, completely different things. 
So they asked churches on both sides, growing and declining, do you believe that Christians have access to a real supernatural power in a way that is not available to just everybody, right? Or we could put it in these terms, do you think that Christians have a relationship with God? Right, that, that's what they asked. Now, in growing churches, 77% of pastors strongly agree. They're like, yes, that is absolutely part of what we believe. In declining churches, do you know how many believe that? Zero percent. Zero percent. The, the, the word of God is doing something in the churches that are growing, and where it is denied, it is clearly not having an impact. It is not working, or those churches are not working. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, pretty much every single pastor said that they strongly believed in it, right? There was none who said that they strongly disbelieved. There was very few that said they disbelieved in it in any way. Pretty much universal strong belief in growing churches. In declining churches, only 38% had any belief at all that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, like that, that, that is a different religion, right? If you do not believe that Christians have a relationship with God, you don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. It's not Christianity, everybody. It's a different thing. And, and so when we talk about the word of God being essential, it is essential for those that are looking for God. Like how, how else are they going to meet? How else are they going to hear? How, how, how will they hear if someone does not preach? If it, if it is not sent, if the word does not go out. So it's not just for us. Whenever we share the word of God, whenever we do this, whenever there's preaching and we set aside time for it, can I just say, it's not like an ego trip and it's not some sort of nice spiritual moment for the Christians. It's essential for everybody that's looking for God. It is essential. And, and, and a lot of the time churches say, well, we, we don't want to have too much of that because we're trying to reach people. It's interesting. That doesn't work at all. It does not work at all. I read a book uh, called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. Sorry, I like surveys and data, so I'm throwing out. I actually have a PowerPoint presentation here this morning. I have a wee graph up. But I read this, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. It was one of my favorite books ever. It's very much like a, a ministry book. It's not sort of a, you know, it's a big study, basically, right? That's what it is. But, but they were looking at people who were formerly unchurched, so people that had no church background or, you know, were not attending church, and then suddenly, you know, started attending church, which they said that's a, a sign that someone's made a real and lasting commitment. And they asked people then in that about their actual commitments, and they had made real commitments to, to Jesus, right? Um, so what, what the formerly unchurched, people that got saved... 97% of them said that the number one factor in them coming to faith was the preaching in church. 97%. That was the number one thing. And the number one thing that, non, that they said that they were looking for when they were non-Christians and showed up at church was to find out what the Bible says. Now that sounds like really straightforward, right? But so often we go, oh, well, that's, that's a bit much. You know, we shouldn't do that. We don't want to get into that. We don't want to teach the Bible too much because people that are, that are looking for God, they're, they're not going to want to hear that. No, if they're looking for God, that's exactly what they want to hear. It is exactly what they need. It is exactly the very thing that will impact and change them. It's interesting that, and this goes, this goes really far. People, the same, same uh, actually no different book, but, but um, similar theme, um, they found that people that were same-sex attracted were two and a half times more likely to go to a church that disagreed with them on that issue than one that did. Which is a remarkable thought. They're vastly more likely to go to a church that teaches and believes the Bible in that area than one that doesn't. And, and, and could I say that maybe that's for a couple of reasons. Perhaps number one is, 
is maybe because churches that believe the Bible in that area also believe it in the area of loving people, welcoming them, caring for them, and seek to live it out in, that, in, in, in all areas of life. And it might also be this, that they're coming to church looking for Christianity. That when they're showing up at church, they actually want to know what the Christians believe. What is this Christianity thing? What does God say about this? Whether they believe in him or not. That's the journey they are on. And where they find a church that does that, that's where they stick. And it is that same word that saves and transforms and sets free and delivers and heals. That is where the power is. And churches that go, hey, we're backing off from that. We're not going to do too much Bible. We're going to deny the Bible so that we can reach the world will fail. Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Not our niceness, not our whatever else you might think. It is the gospel. And if we lack the word of God, we've missed the point. And can I just say also, the same is true in reverse, right? <clears throat> when, we, when we build the walls, when we do the things that it takes to make church run, and I, 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 so, so I'm on staff here, most, most of my time is not spent preaching or prepping messages. I'm, I'm on about once a month. It's a small part of my role. Most of it is the other stuff. So, so it's small groups and, and uh, food bank and all these kind of things that we're currently doing in church, right? And just say that, that and, and, that, and so, so let me apply that to me, but apply it to, to everyone in the room. The stuff that we do that is practical, the stuff that is building the wall, serving in kids, making tea and coffee, sound, visuals, lights, you know, all of that kind of stuff, all of that practical stuff that we do, all of that finds its place and finds its right place and finds its purpose when we as the church gather and whether it's in here or it's down in tots or it's out with the kids or it's at youth later on tonight when we gather and go what does God say what is the word of God that's where it clicks that's where it goes oh this is actually doing something that we can't accomplish on our own this is actually for something higher this is for something greater the the, the people of God built the walls for the word Right? They built the city for the scriptures. That's what they were going after. All of that practical stuff, that is, it, is, it is not less spiritual, but it needs to be built around the, the word of God, getting to the people of God. And that is true for us. Everything we do makes sense whenever the people of God gather around the word of God. Let's read a little bit further in this. Um, we'll go to, to verses 9 and 10, and then 17 and 18. Um, just to kind of keep keep the get get to the gist of it, um, verse nine says this. It says, "And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, um, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So the people begin crying and weeping, and they go, oh, Well, don't do that.'" And then, and then he said to this is uh, Nehemiah um, said to them, "Go your way, eat the fat, um, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God, or holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." And then in verse seventeen to eighteen it says this: "And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun." or Joshua the son of Nun, depending on your translation, um, <clears throat> to that day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law of God. 
they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule. Right, so, 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 um, so the people are gathered here. Uh, and really what they experience is a move of God, a revival and a move of the Holy Spirit that they had not witnessed in, in Israel, really, as it says, since Joshua, son of Nun. There are a few outpourings and revivals in the history, Old Testament history of Israel. There's a few times when God moves in, in this um, special way and this is one of them people are weeping and they all run out to obey god right um so 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 how do we tie this in um there's a chance some of you are sitting here and 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 i think you've got a valid concern and so i'm going to address that where where, where you've heard what i said about the bible and you go um that's great what about the spirit right what about the holy spirit how, how does how does the holy spirit tie into this because we all know people who, who claim to love the word and are, are into the word but you know it turns out when you sort of dig a little bit deeper they're just the sort of evangelical protestant taliban you know it's like just you know like very intense and religious and dead you know and uh you know we just we've, we've seen that we've seen that in this country plenty right we have and so you go well well that's you're talking about the word saying the words the priority well how do we tie in the spirit I'll answer, I'll answer with my testimony and then I'll bring it into the scriptures or a little bit of my, my testimony anyway. Um, so, so when I first came to God, right, I, I was um, very fired up and, and a little bit um, off the rails at the same time in terms of like charismatic with like a capital C-H-A-R-I, you know, like a full on, like just everything. And, and to the point where it was unwise and trying to manufacture, you know, spiritual experiences, just trying to, trying to do more than God was actually wanting to do and trying to, you know, all about the feelings and all of that. Martin Luther, um, not talking about me, but people like that, uh, was once said, people that had, he called them, people that had swallowed the dove feathers and everything, which was, uh, which was pretty much where I was at, right? And, uh, but then as, 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 as I went on in my walk with God, um, and I was in very much still in that place, but one of the things God very clearly led me to do was to go to Bible college. And I had no interest in going to Bible college. I had no plans to go to Bible college. It had been suggested. I had, I had rejected it. I remember, and it's a specific Bible college in Sweden, which is where I ended up going. And, and the reason I went there was one day I was like, right, Holy Spirit, people keep talking about this thing. So if you want me to go, just make it clear. And so the next morning I went downstairs and I turned on TV and it was that church with the Bible college on TV, on God TV that happened to be on, which was not my channel of choice at 17, right? And, and they are not on regularly. They're on once a year. And that, their big annual conference, and that was it. And I go, oh, no flipping way, and hit the button. Do, that's what I did, it, genuinely. No flipping way. I remember that exact phrase came out of my mouth, and I hit the button to go up to the next channel, and the next channel up is God TV Europe, and I'm broadcasting the same thing, right? I was like, all right, okay. I could see defeat. But here's the thing, right? I went to Bible college, and here's what happened. I did not get less excited about the Spirit of God. I got more excited about the Spirit of God. I sensed more of the presence of God. I saw more of God's power, more of God's work. But I also grew in that love for Scripture and began to meet God in the Scriptures and began to meet Him in His Word, and it came alive. And I think sometimes we think that the Spirit and the Word are more separate than they are. They're really not. We get it wrong. I understand that we as humans get it wrong. But God has not placed this big divide between Spirit and Word. If we obey the Spirit, we cannot help but get into His Word. The Spirit inspired this Word. The Spirit wrote it. He was the one behind it, right? 
He was. He's not going to go, oh, that's old hat. We don't need that anymore. He hasn't changed his mind. Still knows that this is the word of God. That's where he's going to lead us to. And the same is true in reverse. If we love the word, oh, you read it and you go, here, what's this Holy Spirit thing? You find him in there. The word will lead you to the spirit and the spirit will lead you to the word. And we get it wrong, yes, but that is not because we don't have, so, so if, you're, if you're too into the Spirit, it's not because you don't have enough of the Spirit. It's because you actually haven't, or sorry, if you're too into the Spirit, it's not because you've got too much of the Spirit. It's because you haven't allowed him to lead you into the Word, which the Spirit will do. The Spirit wants you to come to the Word. It's a lack of the Spirit. The same is true of the Word. If you're in the Word and you don't have anything of the Holy Spirit, it's not because you're too into the Bible. It's because you're rejecting parts of the Bible. You haven't applied those parts of the Bible. The Spirit and the Word come together. And we do not need to detach God's Word from God too much. And we we do this. um, You hear that a lot. You know, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That is, of course, true. That is, of course, correct. The Bible is not the third member of the Trinity. But what that phrase does often is it detaches God from his Word in a way that God never does. God doesn't talk about his word like that. We don't want to misunderstand that. I heard someone who was probably a little bit more of a liberal-leaning person on this, and they said, you know, when we think about the word of God, I want people to think about Jesus and not the Bible. And I go, well, actually, when you think about it, what we're told of Jesus is that he is the word made flesh. So, so when we think of Jesus, what we think of is the Bible in a person. He's, he's, he's the Bible incarnate. He's the Old and New Testament lived out perfectly. He's the embodiment of the word. So that division is not a, not a good division. God defines himself through his word. He reveals himself through his word. He acts through his word. When God wants to do anything, he speaks. When he wants to create the, the world, he speaks it into being. When he wants to save, he speaks. When he wants to deliver, he speaks. That is what God does. He has not separated himself from his word. These things come together. And that's what we see here. We see this very clear move of the spirit. The, the spirit is clearly at work here. It doesn't explicitly say that this is a, a revival and a move of the spirit. But you can't read it and go, that's not a move of the spirit. It is. It's a move of the spirit. It's implied. It's very clearly in there that this is the spirit. And yet a central component of it is the word of God. These things are not separated. And in every move of God in the Old Testament, the New Testament, throughout history, the spirit and the word come together. They work in unison. They work in partnership. And we should expect that in, in, in our own lives and we should expect that in our church. We don't want to separate them. Someone said this, this is a good saying. It said, all word and no spirit we dry up. All spirit and no word we blow up. Both word and spirit we grow up. We want to be people of the spirit and the word. And to be honest, if we have one, we will end up getting to the other. We absolutely will. It doesn't mean we need perfect theology for a move of God, right? God has used imperfect people throughout all of history. If God only used perfect people, it would be me and Craig, right? And no one, uh, and I'm a bit iffy about Craig sometimes, to be honest, yeah. No, like, like, of course, of course, it's not about being perfect, but it, you have to love it. You have to honor it. You have to go, what this thing says, as best we understand it, as best we read it, we're going to honor this thing. And if we do, the Spirit and the Word come together. If you have the Spirit, you won't miss the Word. If you have the Word, you won't miss the Spirit. All right, final point, bring this thing into land. Why, why do we love this thing? Why do we love the Word of God? Why, do, why, do, why are the people of God called to love it? Why do we love it? 
if, if, we, if we look again at verses 9 and 10, I'll not reread them because, because we just have, but, but we look at what happened there. The pe- it's interesting that the, the people are weeping and that God is moving. And yet the leaders don't go, oh, fantastic. Does anyone else think that's, a, that's an interesting reaction? Like if I was here and the preaching went on for six hours, there would be weeping. Okay, there would. But imagine it was like a revival type weeping, right? Imagine it was that kind of thing. And then we, you know, we, we ran out and, and, you know, trustees and, and went, hey, let's not do that right now. Actually, that's not the right thing. We go, that's, that's odd. Like, why are you not leaning into what God's doing here? Uh, and, and in that situation, it might be appropriate, by the way. I'm not saying it would always be inappropriate. But it's interesting that they say not to do that. And what they say is, actually, what, what God is doing right now should not stop in that place of weeping. It actually needs to lead us to joy. It actually needs to lead us into a place of rejoicing. It, the weeping is, is good, and I recognize the heart, but actually the journey God wants to take us on right now will end in and land in joy. And Scripture, I think, does this for us. I understand in our day, right, that that there we have issues where we kind of avoid anything heavy and we make light of sin too much. And so I get that. And we, we, I think we're good about being up front here in, in this church and, and, and clear about things. But at the same time, like we have to recognize like this book is fundamentally good news. Like, like, like where this thing lands for us, the end response of the message of the Bible should be one of joy. It has to take us there. There is no other option. But if, if we get it right, if we actually understand it, the end is not weeping. That's maybe part of the process, recognizing your sin, part of the process. But it's not the end of the journey. The end of the journey is in joy. You know, we had a, a disciplinary issue in our house this week. Um, a, a big, we did, we had a big one. Um, and there was some consequences and uh, some discussion and tears. And I've learned my lesson, that's all I'll say. Um, no, it was obviously... Uh, with with Jack, um, but uh, I I wanted I was okay with him being sad for a bit. He he needed to recognise that what he had done was not good, right? Um, but but I don't want that weeping and those tears to be the defining mark of my relationship with him. You know, like that's not where that ends. If he was still weeping, you know, the whole way through the week and it never got over that, that would be that would be wrong. That wouldn't be right. I would be failing as a parent. I would have miscommunicated something. I would have I would have really missed the mark if that's what it looked like. I really want joy to be the defining mark of my relationship with him. That he knows his daddy loves him and he knows his daddy cares for him and he knows I'm looking out for him and I'm going to tear up if I talk about him in that way in front of everyone. Okay, so not do that. But but that, that's what I want. I want that to be a joy-filled relationship. I really do. And that's what's happening here. And that's what happens in the word of God. Right now in this moment, they're weeping. But actually, they are standing in the midst of a city with rebuilt walls. They're standing in the sign of God's grace and goodness towards them. And they're hearing about that grace and that goodness. That's, that's what they're, they're in the moment of. And so, yes, it was right that they recognized that things in, in their past and things had been wrong. But that wasn't where the journey ends. The journey ends in the place of joy. And that, and that is so true for us as well. It is good, it is healthy to have moments of conviction and contrition. And yes, it's good. Not going to tell anyone if you're feeling convicted about something that that's not a real thing or if that's been part of your journey. I get that. But, but I, we love this book. 
why, at least why I love this book. There's my notes. There you go. That's where they are. We love this book, right? Because, because that's not where it ends. The message doesn't stop with you're a sinner. That, that's, that's not the, the terminus of this thing. It's not where it ends. It ends in something great. It says that even though you are sinful, you have been forgiven. That's where it ends. It says that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. And even though we come back to God as prodigals who have wronged and fled from him, and we say, Lord, I'm not even worthy to be, to be a son. Just make me a servant in your house. The God who hears that comes running towards us and wraps his arms around us and says, welcome home. Like, like it is good news. It is, it is good news that our sin, though very real, has been removed from us. It has been nailed to the cross in Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. And if that is true, then the only response, once we walk that walk and we say, we're coming back to you, God, and there's tears in that process, but the end of it is joy. The end of it is rejoicing. And we're not just forgiven. We are like justified and sanctified and adopted and co-heirs and we're being glorified, like all of these things. How, How can you read that and think that God loves you like that and that not produce joy in your heart? How can it do anything else? There must be joy in the end. The Bible is good news. Let's get the band back up. Feels like a good point. If, if, if we believe this thing, the Christian life is going to be marked by one thing above all else, and it will be joy. You know, that, that, that should be a, a defining part of the church and who we are. We should be the most joyful place in the planet, no matter what happens, Right? Oh, the economy's doing this. Ah, Jesus loves me. You know, like, oh, this happened to me in the week. Yeah, but, you know, God forgives me of all my sins. You know, w- 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 I've messed up in this way. Oh, but I've been brought back, and he's poured his spirit out into me. Like, ho- joy is where this thing goes. And that is why this thing is the, the priority of the church. That's why the word of God is something that we love. That's why we make it our priority. It is the best thing that we have. The best thing that we have for ourselves and for anyone else is this, right? It's not the spectacle, not the organization, not the ability to put on the church. It is the words of God to us. Everything else that we do cannot do what the word of God can do for you. The word is essential. And if we lack it, we will be missing that joy. 